Christmas um, in Finland is a big deal, as it is around the world. But recently I heard a story, uh, a tradition that takes place in one of the cities in Finland, um, a, a city um, called Tur- Turku. And it is a tradition where on Christmas Eve day, sometime during the day, they have one of the city officials comes to this mansion on the balcony that's in the city square and reads a proclamation. And I want to read that proclamation now. You can pick this up on the web if you want to see it. But it says, and they've been doing this for 700 years, every Christmas, since the 1300s. Tomorrow, God willing, is the graceful celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior. And thus is declared a peaceful Christmas time to all by advising devotion and to behave otherwise quietly and peacefully. Because he who breaks this peace and violates the peace of Christmas by an illegal or improper behavior shall, under aggravating circumstances, be guilty and punished according to what the law and the statutes prescribe for each and every offense separately. Finally, a joyous Christmas feast is wished to all inhabitants of the city. It's a proclamation, a declaration that's called the Declaration of Peace in their city. And to me, it's a reminder that part of Christmas is a declaration of peace. That a big part of Christmas is peace. That's part of what it's about. And we remember going back to the prophets, how Isaiah so long before Jesus was born, called the Messiah who was to come the Prince of Peace. And we think about him being the Prince of Peace. And that is what I want to talk about today. That's what I want to ask you to meditate on today as you come into this second week of Advent is on peace. This is part of a sermon series we're doing where we're looking at these really big concepts of Christmas and we're taking them back into Advent and unpacking them. So we're we're calling it Christmas Rediscovered right? As we, we look at these elements. And last week we looked at hope as Eric preached. Today we're going to talk about peace. Next week we're going to talk about joy. And the week after that we'll talk about love. And then it's going to be Christmas, not to stress you out, but it'll, that'll be Christmas Eve then. So that's where, that's where we're headed with all this. And today we're talking about peace. We're dwelling on peace. And I want to start by um, just thinking about what the New Testament says about peace. So if you take the Bible and you look at this part of it, it has a a lot to say about peace. It has a, a whole lot to say about peace, as you would expect, since the Messiah is the Prince of Peace, that the New Testament has a lot to say about it. And as we turn to think about this, I think it's a great time to talk about peace, because I don't know about you, but the conditions that we face today are a reminder about all these temptations we have to not have inner peace. We have all these temptations with how, what our economy's doing, with all the COVID stuff that's going on, with all the political weirdness and strife that's going on, and you know, either denying of reality or this or that or whatever's going on with the different things that are happening. Strife and, and temptations away from peace. So I think it's a great day to talk about peace. And I'd like to start today by just going to the New Testament, to that portion of the Bible, and looking at a few of the things it says about peace. And there are probably more than this, but I want to suggest that there are at least four categories of things that that the New Testament says about peace. I'm going to read three of them right now, 
and I'm going to do a fourth one in a, in a couple minutes. Or actually, there may be even be five that I'm going to mention. But the, but the first one of these that we looked look at is how the New Testament talks about how there's a gift of peace that comes to us. There's this gift. And you can hear it in lots of different ways. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and all ways. The Lord be with all of you. Or John 14, Jesus says, the peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I'm giving it to you. Or Romans 15, 13, Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or finally in Galatians 5, by the contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, and faithfulness. This idea that there's a gift. The second category is one in which we, we realize that we receive it as part of the gift of what God fills us with. So it's not just a gift, I'm talking about being filled. That passage I just read from Galatians 5 is, one of the, is part of the fruit of the Spirit. That as we let the Holy Spirit come and dwell in us, and have reign in us. We talk about the fruit of the Spirit. The first one's being love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control and all that. But this, the third one mentioned there is peace. Part of letting the Spirit dwell in us, come in us, is God's peace. And there are a number of places in the New Testament that talks about filling us with God's peace. And the third category that I would kind of mention, but there's a fourth and a fifth one I'm going to mention in a second. But the third one I want to mention is an active sense of God's peace. Like, to what extent are you called to participate in God's peace? How does it depend on what you do to experience more deeply what God's peace is? Think about a couple of these passages. This is Col Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it. It's something you do. You could not let it. Or you can let it. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Or John 14, which says, I do not, this is Jesus speaking, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. It's something active that you do to experience peace. Or to go back to our reading today, the first reading from Second Peter. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found at peace. It's something you do. Like when, when, it, when the return comes, be found at peace. It's something you do. Strive to be found by him at peace without spot or blemish. Or Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's this idea that as we engage in these things, that there, there's a very sense in which we experience God's peace. And, and the thing to begin to notice about this is it's not what's happening around you. 
Jesus, in all these teachings and in the, in what the New Testament says about peace, what it's not saying is you're going to experience peace because everything around you is going to become peaceful. It's not that. You're going to be surrounded by conflict and all these things taking place. But what Jesus is saying is that there's an opportunity for you to experience peace on the inside as you engage in this. And there are a number of ways that we might think about this, right? I mean, Jesus talks about in, um, how, in John 16, he says, in the world, he's, he, he basically is telling the disciples. There's this point where he says, he tells them in advance all the bad stuff that's going to happen. And he tells them in advance how they're going to, they're going to spread like roaches when the lights are turned on. I mean, more or less, he doesn't say that, but it's like that. But he tells them all the bad stuff that's going to happen and what's going to, what's going to take place. And he, but he goes on to tell them in that passage, I'm telling you this so that you'll have peace. And he's, he tells him, look, in the, this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have persecution. But take heart in this because I've overcome all this. He's telling them that because he wants them to have peace. They're going to experience tribulation. They're going to experience persecution, but have peace. I've overcome the world. He wants you to go to a deeper place of inner peace. And, but he goes on further than that because if you go back and you look um, at Matthew 10, Jesus has this passage where he says, I, he's talking about, I think he's talking about external peace, right? But he says, I didn't come to bring external peace. He, the exter word external is not there. He says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. But I think what he's saying is I didn't come to bring external peace. I came to call you into something deeper and calling you into something deeper is going to maybe lead you into conflict in this world. You're going to be persecuted. This stuff's going to happen. Even people you love are going to say, what? What's happening with this? All of this is coming back to what Jesus is, I think, teaching. If you want a deep and profound inner peace, Jesus offers that to us. It's a peace that we can have even when the stuff around us is going crazy. And it changes how we view everything. And there are lots of ways that we can look at this different perspective. I want to give an illustration. This is not a literal illustration, but it comes from the life of it's, it's fictional history with uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And some of y'all will know him. He was this super smart, super devout theologian that lived back um, in the, and he came to fruition in the 1940s. He was a German. And he originally left Germany to go to New York to teach in a seminary there. But as things got heated with World War II, he felt called by God to go back to Germany and to push back against Hitler and his powers. And no surprise, he got arrested, thrown in prison, and he will, in the end, ultimately die for his faith. But uh, back a number of years ago, there was a made-for-TV movie about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It was called Agent of Grace, Bonhoeffer, Agent of Grace. And there's this one scene in the movie where Bonhoeffer is in his prison cell. And there's a person on the other side of the wall who he cannot see, but he can hear him crying. So there's enough, they can hear through the wall. He can hear him crying. And Bonhoeffer in this movie um, begins to speak to the wall, telling him, I'm a pastor. I'd like to pray for you. And the person on the other side of the wall says, I don't believe in God. And Bonhoeffer is undeterred by this. 
and tells the, the person on the other side of the wall, put your hand against the wall. That's where my hand is and I wanna pray for you. And along those lines, the, um, the prison guard who's there tells him at that time, he says, Kitchener, I, I, it won't do any good. He's gonna be shot any day now. But Bonhoeffer again is undeterred and he again asks him to put his hand against the wall and he begins to pray. He, he tells him, if you can hear me, put your hand on the wall. And he prays this. He says, Lord, it's dark in me and you is day. I'm alone, but you will stay. I'm afraid you never cease. I'm at war, you're at peace. And slowly we see the pair of hands reach up on the opposite side of the wall in this movie that takes place. And the next part of this movie progresses. This soul, this, the prison guard who was so cynical comes back to Bonhoeffer, less cynical, more somber. And he says to Bonhoeffer, I thought you might like to know the boy from the next cell, he was very calm. It surprised everyone. He was executed this morning. It's fictional history as I understand it, but it presents to me the reality of what we're talking about. This idea that we can have a profound and deep inner peace, even as the world around us goes crazy, perhaps even as we face life and death kind of circumstances. One of the great um, Christian devotion writers of the last century was Oswald Chambers. Um, if you've ever read his book, his devotional, uh, my, uh, my utmost for his highest. He talks about a number of different things, but part of what he says in there is he says, peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. Peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. And to me, that is the secret. That is the key that ties so many of these New Testament passages together and something that will lead us to this profound place of peace. As we let God come deeper into us, as we come closer to God, as we experience more of God, we will have more peace in us. And I think about it, you know, I wanna, I wanna spend the rest of the sermon talking about some ideas as imperfect as, as what I'm gonna say may be about how we do that. How do we come closer so that we can experience more of that peace? And I wanna go back to a passage that we read a few minutes ago. Um, it was one of the ones I read that's from Philippians four, where Paul's at the end of the book of Philippians, he's writing it from prison and he's telling the Philippians how to have more peace. It's this Philippians four, six through seven. And I wanna tell you personally for me, since all this COVID stuff started back in March, I printed this verse out and put it on my mirror. So I read it every day while I'm brushing my teeth and it's a profound gift. And I was surprised to read in the last couple of weeks as I was preparing this, that one of the sort of scary, this is kind of a scary big brother thing. But one of the things that Amazon does is apparently they track when you buy an ebook, they track what people highlight. So if you're reading all the Harry Potter series, they know what is the most highlighted passage of Harry Potter. Well, they do this also with the Bible for all the people who've downloaded the ebook version of the Bible. And apparently, 
this is the most highlighted version of the Bible. I would have thought it had been Psalm 23, John 3, 16, or some passage like that. But it was this passage. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 is apparently the most highlighted version of the Bible as, as Amazon would say it. And as we listen to it, um, I'm just going to give you what it says. I'm not going to read it again. I'm just going to say what it says. But I want you to hear it admit for a minute as a formula. Because Paul is going to say, do all this and you will experience this result. And the result is the peace which passes all understanding that we talk about almost every week. Peace which passes all understanding. But what Paul says in the first part of that passage is do not be anxious. Like he gives it as an affirmative command. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. But by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. But it's, but it's calling us back to these don't worry, actively don't worry. Put your trust in God. That's another sermon. And bring your prayers and your supplication and thanksgiving as we talked about last year. All of this. And you're going to experience God's peace. And to me, what it does is it calls us back to discipleship that we talked about earlier this fall. Learning God's rhythms of grace in our lives as a way of experiencing a deeper closeness to God, which will bring peace. That it calls us to that place. And we begin to unpack that again, just a bit of a review, I think. Part of it is coming back to coming to a place where we're willing to say, this is a, this is a huge step. I know it is. If you can get to a place where you say, God, I want your spirit to come into me and reign. Like, I don't care where this goes. I'm surrendering your spirit in. We can come to a place where we're willing to stop and acknowledge and be aware that God's with us to stop and, and recognize his presence. I did a retreat, a two day retreat a couple weeks ago. And this was a big part of what they did. They, they wanted us to stop various times during the day and take a few deep breaths and come back to being mindful that we're in the presence of the divine and who we are in the divine and see a bigger perspective with all the stuff that's going on in our lives. That takes us to a different place. And my encouragement is that this is not a big request. It may sound like it at first, but I will, this will change your life if you're not already doing this. To pray five times a day. One sentence prayers, fine. Pray before you get out of your bed, before your feet hit the floor. Pray at breakfast, at dinner, at lunch, and before you go to bed. That's it. They can be one sentence prayers, but it will change your life. Think about what it is if you started your day before your feet hit the ground and you were to say, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge and welcome your presence in my life. And whatever happens today with its challenges and its joys, I give them to you. What if you said that before your feet touched the ground? It'll change how you live. And when we talk about experiencing more God, coming closer, all these things we talked about, I think it's also learning his ways, which you talked about in discipleship. But it's coming to a place where we, we approach scripture. You know, we have these great Bible studies, like the one Chris teaches. Um, 
and all these things, but, it, but it's not just about learning knowledge. It's not just so that we can come and say, well, yes, I know the Greek on this and what tense that is or whatever it is. But maybe it's coming back to asking the question, what does this passage say to me today in my life and how I live? And there are passages that don't make sense. You read these chapter long gene- genealogies in the Old Testament or whatever, but a lot of passages, particularly in the New Testament, our question is, not just knowledge, I can have a great conversation about what it, what's going on with the Greek or this or that. What's it mean to me today and how I live out my spiritual faith? That will bring you closer to God. A number of years ago, um, I started having, I was doing a lot of running and I had this super tight hip that was going on and I ordered this book on stretching. And I, I bought this book and I read it. And I, if you had come to me at that time, I could have told you about the benefits of stretching, how to do this stuff and all this other stuff. But the truth is I didn't do very much of it. And we can be that way with the Bible. We can know the knowledge, we can read it, we can talk about it. But if we're not actively saying the final question, how does this, what does this mean to me in living out my faith? I think we miss the power of what God's word will do in our lives. It will bring more peace. The one final category, I mean, there are other categories, but the one final category that I wanted to mention today is as we go to that place and as we experience more peace, I think one more step and we see in the pages of scripture is that we're to practice that peace. We're to let go of conflict and not only receive God's peace, experience his peace, see the world with a new perspective, but then go practice peace in our relationships. And you can, you can hear this in lots of different places in scripture. I, I just want to read just a, a, um, a few of these. Hebrews 12, pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Romans 12, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Or Matthew 5, one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Part of this taking God's peace deep within us is not just receiving it for our benefit, but sharing it and living it. And part of that means letting go of hurts and things, you know. In the last couple months, I had one of my mentors who I've been friends with for more than 20 years who did something extremely hurtful. And my first reaction was, I'm never gonna talk to you again. And I sat there and prayed about it. And I was like, you know, what does that do for the world? What benefit does that do? How does that help anyone? That only makes me tend towards bitterness and hurt. Like I need to let that go. We wanna be people who experience and share peace. Back in the 15th century, Thomas Kempis wrote, one of the famous Christian books that's out there called The Imitation of Christ. And part of what he said in it is first put yourself at peace. First put yourself at peace. And then you may be better, make others be at peace. A peaceful and patient person is of more profit to himself or herself and to others than a learned person who has no peace. Part of our call is to be a people of peace and to share a peace. It's the second week of Advent. I want to leave you with some things to ponder. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. 
He comes to give you peace and cause you to cooperate with him in that. As we grow closer to him, we'll experience more peace. As we learn more of his ways, we experience more peace. If we can pray before we get out of bed, breakfast, lunch, dinner, before we go to bed, we experience more of God's peace. If we can stop at some point and just be aware that God is with us. What if you started every day with a prayer that says, I welcome you. I'm glad you're here. Whatever challenges, whatever joys we have are yours today, it will change us. And then if we share that, we will have the peace which passes all understanding dwelling in us. And it will be a great witness to the world. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for loving us. That you love us right where we are and you call us to a deep and profound place of love and peace with you. Help us to come close. Help us to receive it. Help us to share it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.